This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Kale may be a modern health craze, but it is actually one of the oldest forms of cabbage, dating back over 2,000 years. You can learn all about this king of leafy greens and more by downloading the Specialty Produce app and exploring one of the globe's most comprehensive fresh food databases. Stay hungry, friends. Download today on Apple or Android and start exploring. On the Front Burner puts two no-nonsense culinary professionals on air discussing tough industry topics, interviewing fascinating food personalities, and providing penetrating looks at the industry that we love. We don't always agree and often provide compelling personal insights from a unique combination of life experiences. You know, it's a lively give and take. It's by no means conventional. Elaine owns Sweet Cheeks Baking Company and is a winner of the Food Network's Cupcake Wars and Fabulous Cakes. A seasoned industry professional, she is a cake designer and a certified sommelier. Don is a chef, an award-winning journalist, and a culinary educator. Together we take a not-always-pretty, sometimes funny, and always-entertaining look at the world of food and beverage. Hello, and welcome to the first On the Front Burner segment of 2020. Oh, God, I can't even believe you're saying that. It's so crazy. And if you hear that voice in the the distance, that's (laughs) Elaine that has returned to us. We missed her the last two shows, and we're so glad she's back. I'm really glad to be back. Thank you, Don. Yeah. And as is our tradition, we're going to talk a little bit today about some of the new laws that um, impact the industry that went into effect January 1, our takes on them. We've got some different takes on them, but that'll be for you to think about. Also, we're going to spend a little time talking about new restaurants in town and the trend in these new restaurants and maybe what's happened to some old restaurants. And then we're going to wind up today in our last segment talking a little bit more about what the problem is and how we address a shortage of chefs right here in San Diego and, and around the country. But first, I want to let out, remind all of you that February 23rd, Chefs to Cuisine, Association of San Diego, is, has, is having their Chef of the Year dinner. Oh, nice. That's a Sunday, right? It's a Sunday. It's going to be at the Elks Lodge in Chula Vista. And... Um, Go to our website, sdchefs.org. Find out all about it. It's going to be a fun night. There's going to be jazz music and wine and awards and prizes, and we'd love to have you there. sdchefs.org. Check it out. Sunday, February 23rd. That's right. Cool. Thank you. Very nice. Mm -hmm. As happens every year, California passes thousands of laws. Oh, it's just nuts. I mean, you know what's so funny? We have a designated HR woman that we work with now, Dawn Schwab at Clarity Solutions, who I just love. And we chuckle about the fact that not only could an HR person not be able to follow all the new laws, what, I mean, what do the HR lawyers even know? You know, like they're changing these things so often. How can somebody keep up with a labor law 
And really what's sad for an employer is all it takes, or I guess it could go both ways for an employee, but usually it's against the employer, these changes, let's be honest. But all it takes is an employee to do a little, you know, sneaking around and just find one thing that they want to, that they know is new, that they think might be a weird, like an oddball sort of a law and try to pull it off. You know, just try to nail somebody with it if they have something in on their employer. You know what I mean? Like they want to get paid out for something. I mean, granted, most of your employees, of course, are good people. That's not their goal. They're not trying to get somebody taken, but God, these laws are so sneaky. Well, I think I think the real thing, well, there are two things. One is there's so many of them. Thousands of laws got passed last year with the new governor in office, right. with Newsom right. in. He certainly wanted to make his mark, and that's what he spent time doing. I think the other part of that is that we have to realize how and why these laws get made. You got lobbyists. Right. Up there, and these lobbyists are working for their particular industry, the restaurant industry, the certainly the the worker, the back of the house. They don't have these same kinds of lobbying efforts, right? And so, I think a lot of times we get left in the dust because of that, or laws get made for one particular group, but they don't really. They don't apply properly, right. And we don't understand them because we don't have anybody doing that. I think we talked about this before. The National Restaurant Association, I think, is – no? You don't think they do? Yeah, well, they do. They have lobbyists, but they work in a very narrow spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that that always works in the best interest of workers or, or smaller operations. It may work better for larger operations. I don't know. But I just know that we've talked about and probably will get back on today at some point the whole insanity of not being able to share tips between the back of the house and the front of the house. Well, it's not that they can't. They just can't require them to. You can't make them do it. Right. Right. You can't make that happen. So what happens is we have people in the back of the house unable to – make a decent living. Right. And people in the front of the house making six figures sometimes. Right. And so that's when you have walkouts, it's usually a chef. That's right. You have people who leave because they don't think that's fair. And quite truthfully, it's not. I think, you know, I love front of the house. You know, I love to have good service, but I don't care how much you smile at me. Right. If that food isn't right... If it's burnt or comes out cold or it it hasn't been done properly, you know, that's somebody's fault. And that person who makes that not happen ought to be rewarded. Right. Well, too, it's like, you know, the front of the house are your salespeople. So in any industry, your salespeople will make a percentage of sales. So why then in our industry is it that when there's a tip, which is in, in essence – a percentage of sales, but no one else is getting that tip. That should be a percentage of sales that goes to the restaurant, and then it is dispersed to me. I mean, I don't know that a manager is always trustworthy to do that. Um, I think that's been an issue in the past as well. And so I think the lobbyists were trying to, at the time, were trying to make sure that the servers got to hold on to that money and they could determine what happens with it. But the thing is, it's it shouldn't just be their money. They're just the salesperson. I agree. The money is it's a team. That's but the there whole was the no team. one advocating for back of the house. There yeah. was no one making that happen. 
And we've said before that that's something we need to look into. We need to have someone that lobbies for front and back of the house, that takes into consideration the entire industry, because I'll tell you, there's a cook shortage nationally around this country. And when there's nobody in the kitchen cooking, how many tips do you think someone's going to get? Right. You're going to be, well, you're going to start working with robots. We already know that. <laughs> that's that's going to happen. Well, we'll probably get to that. But let's get, to get some of these other laws here oh, first. Oh, goodness. Right. Goodness, One goodness. of them, AB9, has to do with work harassment complaints. And it used to be that you had a year to be able to file a complaint. As of oh. January 1st, yeah. now you have three years to file a discrimination complaint with the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. All right. I have a problem with this just in one aspect because – and I have actually been sexually harassed years ago. And I imagine that probably almost all of my female friends who have ever been employees anywhere can relate to this. I'm sure plenty of men have been as well. I just think it's probably – and this is just sexual harassment, of course. Many people are harassed. But my problem is that even a year after an incident happens, you forget things. You as the person, the harassee, and certainly the person who supposedly harassed, they don't remember that random Wednesday in September last year. They just don't. So now three years later, they're supposed to remember. So how is it? how could it ever even be a fair discussion? You know, because you're coming out of nowhere, potentially – to say, well, they harassed me at this time or for this week or these three days three years ago. What? I don't know. I think some of it's the tricky. some of the logic behind that is supposedly that a person who has undergone harassment, whether it's sexual harassment or or harassment for any reason, may have difficulty coming forward and speaking. That may be, but that's why. I mean. I don't know. I still don't buy it because I feel like you have to at least have registered the complaint or, I mean, this is just way too vague to me. And and that coming from somebody who has been harassed, I think this is too, it's too extreme to think that someone, anyone is going to remember three years ago what the heck you're talking about and be able to defend themselves. Because these days, let's be honest, you're guilty before proven innocent. Well, that is unfortunately what's happened in our society. I don't know. I think with so much of what's happening with Me Too that we often hear people saying it took me two years to get over this harassment, to be able to feel comfortable, to feel it wasn't my fault, to feel that I hadn't somehow brought it on myself. I don't know. But it's the law of the land now. We're going to have to figure out how to deal with it somehow. Yeah. No, I, I understand that element. I just feel like they're going to have to they have to require some kind of backup. Like you talk to I me, mean, I guess they usually do. You talk to your friends about it. There's registered documentation that you spoke to your friends about it. You spoke to your family about it, your coworkers. Somebody has to be able to say, yeah, we saw this. It was really obvious or it was whatever. Like this, this isn't the first time someone's coming out of zero, you know, zero to 100 with this accusation, whatever it is. Hmm. So I don't know. That's just my, that's just my personal input. I think it's just a little bit much. But anyway, now you have three years to be able to file to to file those sorts of complaints. Um, Now, along that line, too, um, don't forget, everyone has to be now. uh, Current law is um, that only supervisors had been uh, and employers were the ones that needed to have training. Now, everybody is going to have to have sexual harassment training. Um, So the employers needed to provide it. 
And that is a new law that just came in too, is right? Right. Yep. January 1st, uh, you have to have two year, two hours right. of sexual harassment training every two years. Every two years. Okay. So we actually did this um, this past year. And um, again, it was this woman, Dawn Schwab, who I just love. And she made it really fun. And we had a good time. And, you know, it it's a good thing. I think it's important for everyone to discuss it out loud. I do think that there's going to be a lot of chuckling involved, you know, and people who are, I know in my business, we're family. Everyone's really close. We're really good buddies. Everyone gets along really well. They still joke with each other on a regular basis. And I have to actually look at them and say, stop what you're saying right now. Like, do you hear what you're saying? This is, I know you all think it's funny, but this is exactly why we go through that training. So if somebody random new, I have a, a, little, a young intern who wants to come in and do some work with us. And, you know, she's turning 16 or something. So you're going to have to keep your mouth shut. You know, <laughs> as it is, you shouldn't be talking. And they're not nasty to each other. They're just silly jokes. But the wrong person's going to turn it around. And that's the problem. You know, so that, that's why the training's good because I think that in the absence of training, people have always been able to say, "Well, I didn't know, I didn't understand." Right. And then on the other side, people would say, "Well, I thought that was just the way you get treated in the workplace. I mm-hmm. just accepted it. I mm-hmm. didn't say anything." At least this puts everything out on the table. Right. Everybody has to have the training, and. Hopefully that'll make a difference. I don't know how much it does or will, but we never know that in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about making accommodations, uh, there's there's been an issue for a while about lactation rooms at work where, where women who want to continue to breastfeed their children or have a place to pump breast milk. And the law has been passed now that you have to provide them with a place that has refrigeration and has a sink and is large enough for you to pump comfortably. And also a place that uh, – and they also have to allow you to do it when you have to go do it. Right. What do you think about that one? Okay. So here's another one. Again, as a woman, and I don't have any children, so all of my good buddies out there who do have children are probably yell at me. But at the same time – um, yes, I think this is really important that women need to be able to do this. However, there is, and it, it does say in the law that you have to do the most reasonable, make reasonable efforts. To no, you have to make reasonable make efforts reason- if you have less than if you have fewer 50 than fifty employees. employees. You're right. If it's over fifty employees, if you have more, you just better or darn more, well have it figured out. You have to do it. Right. So um, I was starting to mention earlier. I used to own a restaurant that was way at fifty-two employees, and we had an upstairs and downstairs of the restaurant. We had the kitchen. We had two small bathrooms, and our office was literally up a straight wooden ladder up the wall. And it was big, and it was enclosed to some degree, and you could go up there and hide. But am I going to have to ask a woman who has just had a newborn to climb up a wooden ladder to go pump her breast milk? That doesn't make sense. Is she going to go into the upstairs part of the restaurant? No, there's no enclosure. Is she going to walk into the kitchen? No way. So now my options for her are a wine closet, which was even smaller than the bathroom, or a bathroom. And so there I was. There would be no way for me to build out an office in that particular space. It was a historic building, and I don't have this situation now. It's not an issue. But it this is the kind of thing that is going to affect some places that are a little bit 
oddball, you know? It's not like you're walking into one of these big corporate restaurants who have a big office and they've got, or even if they have a small office, it's a closable office with a, you know, with a blinds and all that stuff. And um, usually more than one office is usually their chef's office. And there's also a GM's office. And then there's potentially, you know, even if it's a big storage unit, but if they're saying it can't be a bathroom, well, can it be a big storage closet? What if the storage closet is well, 10 by 10 feet? You know. Well, but it also has to have a sink and refrigeration. But you don't have to have refrigeration right next to the woman. That's ridiculous. Okay. There's a refrigeration in every restaurant, right? So if you're saying it has to be right next to the refrigeration, that's where all of the action is happening in a restaurant back of house kitchen. You can, I mean, you have a tiny, you could have a tiny little college fridge, I suppose, plugged in someplace, but... Really, for this one person who on your staff had a baby, like, it gets so specific and it just a little bit oddly written to me. Well, I think that like that's, accommodating as best you can mm-hmm. is appropriate. But I, I think that one of the reasons this applies to places that have fifty people or more is there is usually more room. Like I'm saying, they normally that, do have additional mm-hmm. offices, but keep in mind, all those offices have video cameras. For other reasons. So then there's that whole weirdness. So you, you got to turn off the video camera. Like, you know, you know what I mean? You're not going to have – so when they suddenly have to do this, everyone's got to stop what they're doing on a Saturday night. You got – it just it, – it's – restaurants are a different breed. You know, we all know this. That's true. Um, And I think that there is a – my friends who have had kids, you know, they can – they schedule themselves. They know when they – you know – they can do it at three o'clock in between shifts. They, so it, it's just I'm taking it to an extreme that to for to say that you have to re, you know provide at the moment the the person who is also the lactating employee has to have some ownership as to how this is going to work. You know, they well, have to. I think that probably what's happened here. Well, I know what's happened here is there's been abuse of that situation. Oh, you think? And, and this is the <laughs> this is the pendulum yeah. swinging in the other direction because it course. used to be well, no, you can't. Well, we'll go in the bathroom and do that, and, right? And and, and you and you can only go once a day, and maybe right. you know, right? A female, a woman's body, you know, has to do that more than once in an eight-hour shift. I don't know. Right. But I think that that's what happened. The pendulum has swung in the other direction. I think that's the problem with all of these laws that can become very onerous to many is that a few were jackasses. And that's pretty much the problem with laws across the board. I mean, right? You get the bad apples that screwed up for the rest of us and things that could be just simple, just be human. Well, you, know? you would like to think it's common sense, but right, there's that not. common Common sense is not common, common my husband always says. Not common, exactly. <laughs> okay. I know. I know. All right, real quick, I want to go past and and this isn't so much in the back of the house, could be somewhat in the front of the house, maybe applies more to other industries. But they've done a thing about hair-based discrimination. They called uh, so the weird. Crown Act. Never heard this. Right. Well, there have been and, and you and you'd see it in the news. People who, because their hair was twisted or braided or pink or whatever it is they may have done, and someone in that corporate setting felt that wasn't professional, told them their hair wasn't professional, and they had to either cut it off or change it or straighten it or whatever. There was the instances, and this wasn't a workplace, but I think it was one of the ones that called attention to this. There was a wrestling match in, 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 in a college, 
and the referee made one of the um, wrestlers cut his hair because he he had braids. He said, either you get rid of those braids or you will not be able to wrestle. So the kid went ahead and cut his hair, but wow. it became it was so outrageous that once again the pendulum swings wide. Why didn't they just put it up? Well, they couldn't. It, it was done in braids. It's so a bathing cap or something, you know. I don't know. I mean, maybe they were protecting the kid so that you don't get your hair pulled. You know, you think about things that can happen, or you could really get hurt. But put a bathing cap on. But they don't say if the people would just have long hair. It what was about just mohawks? The idea. Do you know the eighties are back? And I just saw. A freaking amazing blonde on black mohawk this morning in Little Italy. 20-something-year-old guy. I'm like, okay, we're back. <laughs> well, anyway, you can't uh, discriminate against him if he wants to work in your space. No, I would. Well, I mean, God bless her. My office manager is the best, Kayla, and she's got the most gorgeous, long, cobalt blue hair I've ever seen. Okay. Um, you had some laws up above that I was interested on in, actually, and one of them was reusable food containers mm-hmm. are now being allowed, which um, it's interesting. We used to go to the farmer's market, and we would bring back our juice containers wanting to have them refilled, and they said they couldn't let us do that. And that used to make me cuckoo. I said, here we are. We're going to an organic farmer's market. The entire purpose is to keep everything as slow food movement slash organic food, you know, farm to table, home base, and I'm not allowed to reuse this container. Now I have to put this in a recycling, which may or may not ever get recycled, you know. Anyway, I, I was glad to see that being used. Right. And you can also now customers can bring in their in own. In a restaurant. Yeah. Can bring in their own. Which is, which has a slippery slope in itself. Mm-hmm. So what if you go into a fine dining place and you want to bring in your own plateware? You know, it's a little, it's a little weird. There has to be a little bit uh, give and take, unless it's like, I guess allows restaurants to to let customers bring. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe that's the answer. It's not that customers can dictate whether they bring their own or not. They can decide if it's okay or not. Yeah, and, and I think what that does is, is, on the one hand, it's out there to cut down on waste, to cut down on what sure. goes into the carbon footprint of course you know so you bring your own container you fill it up you take it home you bring it back next time that makes sense i don't know if if we get if we get to silverware and plates and that's a whole nother issue i think we're talking your concept of sanitation or whatever that might be right i mean what if somebody brings in a plate to eat off of and they didn't clean the plate properly themselves that's what the issue was. I remember when I was trying to get my juice refilled, they're like, well, we can't run the risk that you may have left bacteria in that container from old juice. We put in new juice. You get sick. Our problem. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand there has to be, you know, it has to take, again, it's all back to me. I think taking on your own personal level of responsibility on both ends, I think as a consumer and as a business, you both have to do it. It's the only way things work. And I mean- I don't know. I think I'm too pragmatic for this world. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but talking about pragmatism, let's get down to dollars and cents and talk about the elephant in the room. Oh, which one? And that's minimum wage. Oh, yes. Well, okay. So the minimum wage, I actually knew was going up to $13. I'm actually surprised that it's saying that's only for the businesses twenty that are over 25 employees. I thought that was for everybody. So it's at 12 if you're 25 and under, it's at 13, 25, or over 25. Um, 
it doesn't affect me anyway. But and in another was it was it twenty twenty one or twenty twenty three? Twenty twenty three. It goes to fifteen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've I don't talked know. to a lot of employers. Yeah. And they're really unhappy about this. As an employer, how do you feel? Well, it t- honestly, it doesn't affect me right now because nobody – I don't pay anyone that low. But um, f- if I were, for instance, at, as a restaurant, I know that's probably – you know, let's, that's our biggest – that's our biggest target market we're talking about in this show. Um, you know, it, you know, when it used to be years ago and we were paying $2.14 an hour to a server who was still going home with a lot of money with their tips, you're now paying those people 12 to 13, probably in the bigger restaurants, 13 bucks now an hour – and they're still going home with all that money, and they still don't have to pay out the tips. That's when it gets cuckoo, you know. Um, that when you have that many employees, and you start, you know, people that are making most the bulk of their money in tips, and you're paying all that. The average public does not realize that as much as a restaurant looks like it's cranking in money, and some of them are, so much of it is going straight out the door again. And you think, oh, they must be making all this dough. You know, but they're not necessarily. Well, it's the average very, very restaurant makes between 3 and 6%. Right. So you profit. start clinking up this this labor cost every single year, and you wonder why they've got these 3 and 4% service charges at the bottom of the bill. You wonder why – we were just talking earlier about – you. I have not seen too many restaurants that we have that we typically like to eat in. They're not the, they're not fine dining, but man, are you hard pressed to find an entree that's less than twenty six to thirty six dollars each for an It's crazy. At the same time, people ought to be able to make a living wage. They may, ought to be able to make a wage that they can actually eat out in those places. They shouldn't be stuck eating at Subway and you know the the local. Golden Corral or whatever. No offense to those places, but they're like a you know an inexpensive place to eat. That shouldn't be the only place that you can afford to eat. You should be able to choose. But then the restaurant will not survive if they're not raising their price. You know, well, I don't know. I think it goes back, and, and like I said, I'm sure we'll be talking about this off and on today and forever. We've got to get that tip law changed so that when tips are given – they're equally distributed between the front of the house and the back of the house. I think I think that's one answer to that. Uh, because I don't know that raising the minimum wage does anything. Because what happens, you raise the minimum wage, the prices go up and everything, right. and you're stuck right where you were. Right, and the people are moving further away. They're later and later getting to work. You fire them because they've been late to work five times. I mean, it it's this evil progression sometimes. Or they're bitter or they're walking out. I just talked to one of our top chefs that we work with in, um, you know, one of the best hotels in San Diego. Chef de Cuisine walked out, texted, and just said, not coming back into work again on Christmas Eve. Who does that to their executive chef? There's got to be some problem they're having, and I know that they all got along. Nice guy, but something's up. Why are these people leaving? Well, that's something we're going to talk about in mm. the next segment, Crazy a little business. bit more about why people are leaving and what can be done to um, try to stall that. Um, any other laws you looked at? You know, we forgot to mention the latex glove thing, which is oh. interesting. So we we use gloves at the bakery often um, for multiple things, you know, in the bakery. And then as well, when we're setting up dessert stations, we always put on food service gloves. And of course, I'm looking at these boxes of latex gloves that we have now. They're now going to have to go where? Are they going in the trash or are they just going to be, we can use them 
on painting, if we're cleaning, <laughs> things like that. We can't use them for food service anymore. So I don't know. I didn't know that many people are allergic to latex, but certainly must must be some enough people because now you can't use it. Yeah. So that's no more latex gloves by food handlers in the state of California. Right. And you're right. Some places have back stocks of gloves right. that they bought cases. So we got to sell them to all the people that are doing other jobs. Right. You know, and and, and, I, and I'm, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, <laughs> but gloves by and large are just a visual, I think, to a great extent. Um, I trust a clean hand better than I do a dirty glove. Oh, forget it. You know, when you, I'm with you. It's like when you go to a um, – you go to a festival or a market or something and there's one person working. Oh, it makes me crazy. I'm not even going to mention the place that I see all the time. And the guy's taking the money himself and then he's also producing your product. He's wearing the gloves. He's grabbing the mushrooms out of the mushroom container. He's grabbing the tomatoes out of the tomato container. He's taking the next guy's bills. Mike, the dirtiest thing in this entire market are those dollar bills that have been wadded up in people's pockets and on the floor and on the ground. And, you know, I mean – and in registers and oh gosh and they're going <clears throat> right and all that's going on the gloves and the gloves hold that and you right. can't wash your hands with the gloves of on course. and so i think that i i, I know we, we were doing a service not long ago and and someone came in and they were outraged you don't they don't have gloves on and they're serving and i said fine so we had people put their gloves on but by and large i will always trust a clean hand to a dirty glove mm-hmm and, and and I just think that we've built this perception that people think they're somehow safe or things are somehow better because the gloves are on. It's it, it's all optics and it's not real. Yeah, I don't even know what else there is. There's the nitrile. Is that how you say it? Nitrile. Mm-hmm. And is there anything else? Yeah, the, the, there's late there's latex, there's nitrile, and there's one other. And uh, that's what we'll have to go to. We'll find nitrile. out pretty soon. Yeah, mm-hmm. those blue ones. And then the other thing was um, the quick conversation. Oh, no, the food handlers that they now have. You have to get training on um, the major food-based allergens. Right. Whole new training. So I'm assuming peanut, dairy, seafood, that kind of stuff. Gluten. The whole whole schmear. And I don't know. it's, It's just amazing to me all of the allergies that we have now. Because I remember wonder. growing up, I didn't know anybody being yeah. allergic to anything. Not too much. Not I like met one now. kid that was allergic to chocolate, and we just didn't even believe he he was human. We thought he was an of alien. Course. I know. My cousin couldn't drink milk, and I remember thinking, "What the heck do you put on your cereal? How can the, how can you live? Mm-hmm. You have no milk." Yeah. It's, so I don't know if it's our immune systems or or not getting out or what it is, but there's so much. In fact, I, I have a good friend who. Loves cheese, eats cheese, found out recently she's allergic to goat cheese. Oh, weird. She can eat every cheese in the universe, but goat cheese, she gets hives and can't breathe and almost passes out. So there's just so many allergies there. So I think that that we do need to make people aware, but I just don't know how you keep up with all of that. I think somehow you have to keep up with what your allergy is. Right. Again, you have to take some ownership of your own health and your own life. Yeah. I mean, there are people who are allergic to anthocyanins. Mm -hmm. That's the the red and dark purple in vegetables and and, um, fruits, even in wine. So they can't have strawberries or raspberries or tomatoes. Because of the seeds. So 
what are you supposed to? You have to go. You know, you supposed to go to school for every little thing like that. I don't I'm, know. There's no. I'm not way. sure. You just have There's to no know. Way. It's just like I know that I did a gig not long ago, and the husband was allergic to celery. The wife was allergic to cilantro, wow. and 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 the daughter was a ve- vegetarian, and then there was somebody else was gluten free. I, I started to just give them air sandwiches. Yeah, what else are you supposed to do? dust? Here you go, have some dust. Mm-hmm. I know, I yeah. know, it's nuts. Um, the last one was the um, independent contractor law. Right, and I don't know how much that impacts us as an industry. It's, I think it's impacting Uber. <laughs> yeah, Uber and Lyft are really having yeah, an issue yeah, yeah. there. I think they're the biggies. Because um, they want to say these people are independent contractors so they don't have to pay benefits right. and workers' comp. Right. And uh, Another biggie is the spas. Mm-hmm. Spas and um, hair styling and that kind of stuff, yeah. A lot of those places are having some issues yeah. with that as well. Well, that's a quick look yeah. at the new laws this year, yeah. and we'll watch and see how they impact things and how they change. And next year, we'll talk about what else is new. But right okay. now, we're going to get ready for the second half of the show, where we're going to talk a little bit about new restaurants, old restaurants, losing chefs, and we're going to be doing that right here on the front burner. I'm Don Williamson. And I'm Elaine Tony. Talk to you soon. 